are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I have a question for you. What's it a name? I know my last name, Treber, means driver. It means pusher. Apparently, God knew uh, what, what my life was going to be about. But uh, I know the name Jack, what it means, that uh, beloved of God, God loves it. It's the same as Jacob and or John. I love my name. I'm thankful for my name. I'm thankful my parents gave it to me. We, uh, we name things. We used to in America, even when I was a boy, we'd name our cars. A lot of cars were named, and the most famous name was Jezebel. It seemed like everybody had a Jezebel, and that's what they called their cars, uh, different names. But I'm so thankful for the names. And, and today, uh, God shows us in this Bible, there are surnames. Bill Shilton, Shilton on our uh, staff, he's the lead mechanic on the buses. He, um, he is notorious for renaming everybody. He just renames everyone. I do the same thing. I'll walk down the hallway in our offices and I'll say hello to this one or that one. I'll put a middle name with everybody. It's just something's wrong with me, I guess, but sometimes the name sticks. When our daughter Tabitha was born, uh, right off the bat I looked at her. She was the last born. We have Tiffany and Timothy and Tabitha. And thank God all of our kids are out in full-time ministry serving God in their churches today. But I want you to know Tabitha's still here with her husbands who are a principal of our Christian school. And she was just a happy little thing. And so I started calling her happy. I don't know what happened. She's mean now, but she was a happy little girl. And she's still happy. Uh, there's only one other girl I've given that name, and that is, uh, is uh, Nicole Flood. As a little girl, I started calling her happy. And so I just see her. If I say, hey, how are you doing? Happy, that's her surname. Do you have a surname? Is there another name uh, given to you? Uh, the, the, I call Brother Moyer the main man. He's in charge of the radio station. And um, I call this lady right here. I don't, she don't, don't call her to her face. I call her the drama queen. Well, really, quite frankly, I don't have a name. In, but once in a while, I'll walk away. She's a, a drama mama, and uh, that's just the way it goes, you know. Everyone, a lot of folks I call nutcase. Hey, nutcase, how you doing? It's an endearing term. It means you're a nut. But um, we all have it. Judas had a nickname, traitor. Iscariot literally means traitor. He's the, he's the traitor. Uh, I think of um, uh, Diotrephes, he had a nickname. He loved to have the preeminence. Number one, self, all about him. Demas had a nickname, loved this present world. He was with the apostle Paul just two years before that and he was in a missionary trip with Paul and now they said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. In the Bible, you have many nicknames. Many names that define. Jesus has about a hundred names. Uh, he's the door, he's the vine, he's the branch. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the shepherd. He is the I am, he's the advocate. He's the blessed one, he's the begotten one. He is the Christ, 
He is the deliverer. He is the Holy One of Israel. There's many names that describe who Jesus is. The word Jesus is his personal name. The word Christ is his distinguished name of the title, who he is, the Christ, the Son of God. We have names that are given to people. We have surnames. That the surname does, it further identifies who you are. Some of you young people have come to Bible college. After four years, you'll leave here, and there'll be a surname that is added to your name. I hope it's a positive one. And I think if I look at the student body that God gave us from around the world and the country this year, it's the most amazing student body I've ever seen. That's nothing against the other 24 years, but these are soldiers, these are conquerors. They have not complained, they have not griped. It's been the most wonderful semester on our campus. Their heart has been so much right with it. The surname identifies our personality. Happy, that's Tabitha, our daughter. She's just a happy camper. Happy. It's your surname to your personality. Sometimes it's your surname to your position in life. I have another name since I became pastor here 45 years ago. It's the word pastor. I'm Jack. Treber, Pastor Jack Treber. I love that word, Pastor. I remember when I first became the pastor of this church, I'd already been assistant pastor for many years, but I never referred to myself as an assistant pastor. But when I came here, I can remember literally writing it, Pastor, Pastor. It felt so good to write that name, to be a shepherd, uh, you're a postman, that's your surname. You're a policeman, that's your surname. You're an attorney, that's your surname. You're a builder, you're a pastor, you're a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker. You're a choir member, you're a parent, you're a man, you're a woman, you're a computer programmer. Whatever it might be, you're a heavy equipment operator, you're a husband, you're a wife. All of these are surnames. What's your surname? See, I don't have one yet. Well, normally you have to live a while before you get one. But here's a surname. In Mark chapter number three, Jesus has begun his public ministry. He has just gone through the wilderness experience for 40 days. He was um, oppressed by wild animals. He was oppressed by the devil. He was oppressed for 40 days with hunger. He was oppressed with loneliness. He was by himself, and there he was, and he went through that journey, and God's going to open up his son's ministry now. Jesus begins his ministry. One of the first things he does, he begins to collect men to gather around him. His purpose was to infuse his life into their lives, that they would become one with him like he was one with the Father, John 17. And so Jesus took these disciples. They wanted to learn more about him. They asked, actually asked him one day, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. So he taught them how to pray. When you pray, here's how you pray. And he gave them an outline in John 17 how to pray. I'm excited about the fact that Jesus spent time with these disciples. As he's spending time with them, the Bible says in verse 13, and he goeth up, chapter 3, verse 13, Mark, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. In other words, he, he's calling who he wanted to call. And, he came, and they came unto him. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that they might send them forth to preach. That's a great Greek word, keruk. That means to publicly declare with authority. Lift your voice and to speak. Preaching. We are having an absence of preaching in America these days. We have 
community leaders and community speakers and pastors that are sharers and tellers, but we need to have preachers of the word of God. God has chosen in this due time, these last days, the foolishness of preaching, not sharing, not seminars not acting like it's a little show, but to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. He said, I want you to preach. And he said, I want you to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. And Simon, Simon, he surnamed Peter. He said, Simon, I want to give you a new name. Your name is Simon. They refer to him as Simon Peter at times but your name is Peter. Peter means the little rock. And the church and Jesus Christ, Jesus is, without disrespect, the big rock. He is the rock of ages cleft for me. He's the rock, but Peter's the little rock. And then he goes on, he says, okay, now, Simon, your surname, Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So James and John were brothers. And he surnamed them Borgerness, which simply is this, the sons of thunder. I want to speak about those two boys today. I want to speak about these that have been given the sons of thunder. In other words, Jesus, who had all insight to their life, Jesus said, boys, I'm choosing you and I want you to be thunder. I want you to declare it with power and with zeal and with excitement. And I want you, and by the way, if you've ever seen or heard thunder, thunder preludes lightning. And you ever hear it? I never, I grew up right here in Centerville, which is now Fremont. When I was a boy, we, we stopped raining about this time of year, same today. And it begins to rain in October, November again, and we won't have rain for the summer. It's just the way it is. And you know that when I was a boy, I'd never seen lightning. When I was a boy, I never heard thunder because we don't have it. I never saw snow because we didn't have it until I went to the snow. But in 1965, we went to the Midwest, to Racine, Wisconsin, to see my uncles and my aunt. First time I'd ever flown. We got on that flight as a teenager and we arrived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Billy Mitchell Field. And we got off and we went to Racine to see my relatives. You know, when we saw there, I was, uh, we had the house was just packed. Uh, I was at an aunt and uncle's house and my mother and dad and my sisters and those cousins of mine were all there and there's no room. It was all girls but me and my dad and my uncle. So they stuck me in the living room. That night, I'll never forget it. I went to bed, but I could not see the clock on the wall. But all of a sudden, I heard this big rumbling. I thought, oh my, what in the world is that? Uh, it's my stomach hungry. It wasn't my stomach. It's some lady, I'm not in mine, but uh, I wonder what is that thunder right now? What is that? What, I didn't know it was thunder. I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard it before. And then I tell you what, it was about three in the morning and it just lit up that room. And I knew it was three o'clock because I saw the clock on the wall. It scared me to death. Man, I'm a teenage boy. I didn't want to run to my mother. I didn't want to run to anybody. I certainly didn't want to run to my cousins. But there I was scared. I thought, what is this? What is going on? I heard the preacher preach about Jesus is coming again. Is this it? Is he coming again right now? 
scared to death, never heard it before. You know what thunder and lightning does? It's an explosion. And Jesus said, you boys, I want you to be like an explosion. I want you to make things happen. I don't want you to be dull and boring and sit around and waiting for something to happen. I want you to make it happen. I want you to be a man of action. I want you to be men of activity. I want you to be men with enthusiasm. I want you to be a man, a man. I want you to be a man of fire. I want you to be a man of zeal. I want you boys to do something. My challenge today, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a world that's falling apart at the seams, in a world that's saying we don't want policemen in some cities. We want them here. Thank God for police. The first one those politicians are called when they don't want police are the police. I tell you, friend, today, in the day that we live, we need explosion. We need some young teenage boys to say it's exploding my heart. I can't get away from it. There's zeal in my heart. There's some girls as young girls and teenagers to say there's a zeal in my heart to be a wife, to be a mother, to be a virtuous woman, to be godly, to be holy, to be pure, to keep myself right before God. There, say, you don't wait till you're an old man, teenager. It ought to be showing up right now who you are. There ought to be an explosion in the hearts of these young boys that are in our school and in our college saying, I have to preach the word of God. I need to be in Christian school work. I need to be a coach. I need to be a teacher. I need to be a missionary. I need to be an evangelist. I need to be a pastor. I need to do something with my life. I've got to get involved in doing a world of thunder. They're going to hear from me. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm saying that there's something boiling on the inside. And when it begins to boil on the inside, the Spirit of God, it's going to come out and it's going to come out with enthusiasm and with fire and with zeal and with excitement that this is the way it ought to be done. This is church. Church should not be dead, as dead as last year's Christmas tree. Churches ought to have life, ought to cause a thunder in a city, in an area. There ought to be amens. There ought to be the rumble of amen. That's it. That's good. Praise the Lord. I love it. I tell you what, I've been enjoying so much on Wednesday nights. Pastor Cooper has been preaching to us from the book of Nehemiah, and I tried to call, keep it down last week. I sat with my wife, and I tried to keep it down. My daughter, Happy, was there, who was a grump that night, and her husband was a worse grump than he was, than she was, and I, I sat next to him, and I know I'm so loud and so boisterous. I, I know I, just this way it is. I, I hear a man preach, amen, praise the Lord. That's, and it's not every 30 seconds, or 10 seconds, or five seconds, and driving you nuts. I've been preaching places across this country, and I'll start to preach, and someone say, amen, amen, praise the Lord, praise. I feel like saying, we got it, buddy. We got it. We know what you're saying over there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Although I do love preaching in black churches. Woo! Our old neighbors, they moved away after all these years back home to, I think, Alabama. They'd take me up about once a year to their church up here on Sunday afternoon in East Palo Alto. All black folk. I love them. I love it. It was so exciting. Sometimes I take some folks with us. And they had those ladies all dressed in white, white hats, white dress. They looked so beautiful, white gloves, and they took the offering. I tell you what, I'd like to have that around here. I think they did better than these men that we got coming down this aisle. I'm not too sure about all that. I remember the first time I preached there. 
I was preaching on a Sunday afternoon. I said, take your Bibles, please, if you will, and turn over here. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. uh, well, I never had that before. And I started reading the scripture, and the more I would read it with emphasis, yes, uh-huh, all right, reverend. They all call you reverend. All right, reverend, mm-hmm, uh-huh, preacher. And I said, folks, time out. You're wearing me out and I haven't even started. I love it. Keep it up. You go to some churches and preach. It's like Goober at church on Sunday morning trying to fall asleep, I guess. Well, I tell you what, I loved it preaching there. So exciting preaching there. Zeal and fire and enthusiasm. When you've got something in here, doesn't it just want to come out? Doesn't, doesn't there, there's something inside about that bus route? You want to reach more for Christ? We had that precious bus girl this week and her brother, John, he's been coming and her, she got saved here a year ago, been coming to our services on Saturday and coming in the past, 20 years of age and another car, two teenagers running from the police, T-boned them and both Precious, her name is Precious and her brother's name Philip went out in the eternity right down the road here. Killed in an instant. Thank God Brother Poussin last year and what would have been her father-in-law led her father led her to Christ at that funeral. I want to say she got it. Oh, she wanted to be in Sunday school. Oh, she wanted to be in church. She got it. But thank God for bus workers. It was a Christina's route that picked her up and brought her to the house of God. I wonder today, isn't there something burning inside you that you want to go and reach boys and girls and men and women, bring them into the house of God? I know there is. I watch our bus captains. The ministry today needs some men of thunder. It needs some single adults that have some thunder. I'm getting so concerned with the single adults and you young couples that you're concerned with the world and your party and your play and your appearance. You would never run a bus. I'm talking about churches all of America. Are you listening, young, young people? And consequently, instead of setting an example to young people that are in elementary and junior high and high school and college, you are setting an example that you get out of church and you compromise everything at one time you once believed. You're hurting the cause of Christ. What's wrong with staying right a lifetime? No, if you will, Mark chapter one. In Mark chapter one, we see the Thunder Brothers, and I'm preaching today on the Thunder Brothers. Notice their call. Chapter one, verse 16, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting them into the sea, they were fishers. And he said, come after me. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And he had gone a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, that we're talking about. And straightway, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship. They hired servants and went after him. I've got a question, what are you going after? You have to be able to identify it this afternoon, right now, what are you going after? What's the primary thing in life? Raise your kids to be a success, to make a lot of money? I'm not suggesting that all should go in the ministry. I'm not suggesting that. But if we don't get them from here, where are we going to get them? UCLA? Berkeley? San Francisco State? 
I'm not saying God could not give us somebody out of there. God gave us a student who already graduated from San Francisco State in business and he came to church. He was already saved and he came to Bible college for four years and he got married and he went back to Hong Kong. He and his precious wife and their four kids in Hong Kong and he has two churches and two Christian schools and a great ministry in Hong Kong, Brother Andrew Al. I'm not saying that there could never be anyone, but he's the exception to the rule. If we can't get preachers out of this place, where are we gonna get them? And I want to insert time out. I've said it several times in the last several months. But you churches that are changing so fast, and you want to have this new contemporary worship, and you want to have this new lifestyle, new attire, and new spirit, new philosophy, and God says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Are you bringing that stuff in? I want to tell you, those churches historically, I've watched my entire life, they do not produce young people for Bible college. You pastors that are watching, your job is to get a generation trained. The average age on a missionary, this was 10 years ago, was 68. The average age is 68. Where are the young kids? A place like this doesn't produce them. And we are, where are the young kids that are going out establishing churches and preaching and taking a psalm book and singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to God? This is an urgent hour, ladies and gentlemen. We need some sons of thunder. And Jesus, he calls these disciples, follow me. You say, well, pastor, I'm a layman in this church and you're stirring me up. I want to, I want to go do something. I want to go pastor. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. I'm shocked how many, I got to do something. Got to do something. Got to start a church. Got to go somewhere. Got to do something. Why don't you come for 52 weeks to Saturday night men prayer and see if you can make it every week. Why don't you go 52 weeks to soul winning? I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many people have come to this church in 45 years, almost 46 now. They all wanted to start something. Start a death ministry. Start a soul winning ministry. Start a ministry for men. Start something for the teens. Start this, start that. I, I, I keep thinking, we've got them already started. Why don't you just attend what we've got? And if we find out after a year or two or three or four, you've been to Saturday night men's prayer and Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and you've been tithing and you've been praying and you've been fasting and been seeking God, that maybe the church will see the touch of God according to Acts 13 is on your life and maybe, maybe, just maybe then. You should, I watch people, they don't get their way, they get mad, they stay home. Six months later, they show back up. Oh, I've had a revival. Ready to go. I'm having a good time now. You're not, but uh, the call, the call. But not only did I see a call, chapter 5 of these Thunder Brothers, in chapter 5 and verse 37, I see in addition to the call, a closeness to the Savior. A call from the Savior and a closeness. 537, he suffered no man to follow him. He allowed no man to follow him, save Peter. James and John. You know, these three men were the inner circle of the 12. Peter, James, and John. We sing about it in elementary chapter. Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. Peter, James, and John. Those three were the inner circle. That's the crowd I want to be in. I want to be the inner circle. God's going to create some thunder 
with the inner circle people. Not the people that want to tell Jesus how to do things. But the people that want to listen to Jesus as he's getting them ready. He knows that his window of ministry is only three years. He knows that his ministry would be drawing to a close. I have no idea when my ministry will close and when God will take me home. But anyway, I look at, I look at all these preachers in my journal that I have that I've outlived them all. The man that you have in your notebook today, uh, uh, Dr., uh, uh, Dr. Curtis Hudson, he preached here. I preached with them. I love Curtis Hudson, but he died at age 61. I've outlived him. I've outlived Lester Roloff. I've about outlived Jack Hiles. I've outlived a lot of these guys. And I believe that I have more strength and more energy right now than I ever have. Heroin's helped me a lot, and that's keeping me going, I'm certain. Oh, boy, I don't do that. But I'm just saying this. I feel like more than ever, there's an urgency to get you young couples ready, to get you young single adults ready, to get you old people ready. There's still much more to do. There's more to reach. There's more to buses to run. Had a man out there yesterday. I went stopped by the bus garage and talked to him. He says, Pastor, wouldn't it be great if we could buy a hundred of these buses and just send them out everywhere? I like that spirit. That's a, that's a spirit of thunder. That's a spirit. Let's make something happen. I love the fact that what you did as a church in the Philippines, that, that's, that's a spirit of thunder starting all those 400 churches. And now we're getting ready to go into Mexico on top of the 140 missionaries we have, on top of the 59 or 60 countries where we're already in winning the loss to Jesus Christ. We had one of our missionaries, he got his letter yesterday. He's in a closed down area of Mexico. And yet last month, one-on-one, -on -one, holding church services outside all over the area. They had 302,000 people walk the aisle trusting Christ as Savior. That's a double honk right there. Honk, honk. I'm talking about that's, that's something. That's revival. That's thunder. That's seeing something happen. Well, yeah, but... If we get sold out to God, we can't dress the way we want. No, but you can maybe leave an example, mother, grandmother, to the next generation. It's hard enough, let alone you always wanted to choose something that's just a different direction and compromise. It has worked in this church to do right for 46 years. We'll have 60 kids in Bible college again this year. 60 out of our own church. We have produced hundreds and hundreds out of our own kids. That Christian school, there's 180 plus that are in full-time Christian ministry have gone out to serve God. 27 of those girls are pastor's wives. I want you to know today that it's worked. Don't you come in here and say, well, we got a new way and undermine what has been working for 46 years this July. There's been thunder, there's been position, there's been lightning, there's been excitement, there's been zeal. It's not been dull. You don't have to wonder where we're going around here. I find not always their call to the Savior. There's a closeness to the Savior. Mark chapter 10. We might say that is a station. If you want to stay with the letter S, that closeness. There's a submissive heart in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the 12 and he said unto them, if any desire to be first at chapter nine, he should be last. And chapter number 10, the same verse, 
And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou should do for us whatsoever we shall desire. He said, God, we want, we want, we, we want a desire to serve you. We want to have a submissive, but it's going to have to be you that does it. For the sake of time, I'll turn, I won't turn there, but it's Acts 1.14. The book of Acts, Jesus now buried and he died and was buried and he rose again. The ascension. And these 120 were in the upper room. But in Acts 1.14, it speaks about the Thunder Brothers are there. Judas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't at that prayer meeting. Because these men were steadfast. They didn't quit on the crucifixion. They didn't quit at the burial. They didn't quit at the resurrection. It was prayer meeting time. These thunder boys showed up. I see in chapter 12, about that time, Herod the king, chapter 12, verse 1, began to vex certain of the church. And he saw it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take James, the brother John, and beheaded him. And yet, though they suffered as thunder brothers and died martyrs' deaths, they said, that doesn't matter. Christ, we're in this thing. We're, we're sold out. Abraham had a surname. He's called the father of Israel. Jacob, in Genesis 32, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel for this day forward. Everyone has a name. John, you'll no longer be called John. You're called the beloved. Boys, I watched you boys as fishermen. I watched you working and mending your nets. I watched you loving your dad and had to go talk to your dad about leaving me, leaving him to come to me. I watched how you set things in order. I, I like the zeal you have. Seems out on the dock you were leading people. It seems like you have some uh, igniting in your heart. Boys, James, John, you're the Thunder Boys. You have some excitement and zeal about you. You have some push. I'm looking for some folks in our great church that have some thunder towards soul winning. Man, talked to me last night about it. And I said, well, let's go out this Saturday together. That thrilled my heart, man, that I respect so much. I want to be a better soul winner. I want to reach people. I want to do what I can. I want to, would you, I'm so excited about helping them. I'm so excited about being with them. We need some folks that have some zeal for the bus. Our buses have brought into the house of God 1.5 million boys and girls to church. 1.5 million. It's been a thrill to see what God's people, yesterday, these tents, as they were filled with the B and the C bus kids that came. And we're limiting it. We're keeping it down. But they keep coming. You say, well, yeah, but teenagers don't want to come in this day. The largest crowd we have by far, probably double any more of the crowd that are coming on Saturday, maybe more, triple more than the other, the teenagers. They need something. They want something. They've experienced everything anti-God, and yet they're hungry for the things of God. 
I want you to know today that we're looking for some soul winners. I'm looking for some people that say, I'm in. I want to live, though summer's coming, a separated, clean, godly life. I'm looking for some folks that want to sing and shout. I'm looking for some souls that want to serve. I'm looking for some stewardship people. The year was 1730. I mentioned to our class this morning briefly about his life. He was a young preacher. He had graduated from Princeton, I said 13, went to Princeton at 13, graduated at 17, valedictorian of his class. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He'll stand at Yale University, and I've been on that campus. You'll see one of the dormitories. It's Edwards Hall, and it's carved right in the stone. Jonathan Edwards Hall. Jonathan Edwards was the great preacher. He began to preach and pastor the largest church in the colonies in New England in 1700s. And as he was preaching, he was just been so overwhelmed with the spirit of carelessness and apostasy in the church. He saw it at the universities. He saw it at Yale that began in 1638, Harvard. That was started as a Bible college. He started, saw it at Yale in 1701 as it began as a Bible college. He saw it at Princeton that began as a Bible college from the Presbyterians. And it was so, so alarmed that on campus they were drinking. But it was, it was Harvard that the first uh, 60 years of their school, over 58% of all the men graduating became preachers of the gospel. And now they're out there drinking and they're carousing, and they're going to saloons, and they're swearing on campus. I was standing at Yale University years ago, and I looked at Jonathan Edwards Hall. It's a men's dormitory, but at that day and now, it's co-ed. You can bring your girlfriends into Jonathan Edwards Hall, and a girl hung her head out the window and spoke across the green. There's a guy walking, and she began to swear and blaspheme the name of God from that same dormitory that was built to train preachers. And he looked back, and he began to swear to her on that campus. Jonathan Edwards took the largest church in America at that time as a young boy at age 24, and it exploded in growth. It's amazing, he died at age 55. He later became the president of one of those universities. But before he left that church, that church which was the largest church, there was an insurrection and they no longer wanted his preaching. They said, good riddance, we don't want it. But God used them in 1700 and 43, 41, July the 8th, 1741, uh, as he stood to preach. As he stood to preach that day, God was using Whitfield and Wesley and Jonathan Edwards. England had already been shook with the, what they called the first awakening. And our colonies needed an awakening. That day, Jonathan Edwards began to preach I don't know how this could be true, but they said people could hear his voice two miles away. I don't see how that could even be true, but that's what has been written. He spoke under a concrete slab and a concrete ceiling and pillars out front, 
and he spoke to thousands and tens of thousands of people that day. When these men preached, they always preached their number one theme was on hell and judgment. That there's a righteous God. And that Sunday he chose to preach a message he entitled, it's well known, it's in, you can look it up on Wikipedia today, you can look it up on Google or whatever those things are, and you'd see it called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. They said that day he was hanging people over the precipice of hell. People began to hang on poles, street lights, where lanterns were glowing at night when, at the nighttime hour, and they were holding on and, and saying, oh God, God, don't let me die without Jesus. Save my sorry soul. Revival broke out, and not just in that area, but all through New England. It was called the First Awakening. I have it on the prayer page with the men on Saturday nights. Pray for a humbling of God's people for an awakening. Oh, how we need a new awakening. We need to be awakened. We've got beer in this country. We've got drugs in this country. We've got immorality in this country. We've got the internet that's spewing out a lot of garbage in this country. If we're not careful, we get all wrapped up. Oh, how we need some thunder men and women of God that'll stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, not on my watch. I'm your mother. No, we're not going there. I'm your father. No, we're not going there. I'm your daddy, I'm your mother, I'm your grandma, I'm your grandpa, I'm your pastor, I'm your Sunday school teacher. No, on my watch, you're going to be some zeal, some enthusiasm for God. I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll beg God for you, but I'm not going to let you go to the devil without a fight. How sad it is. Some of you young couples, and I watch you get so casual at church, and we have so many amazing couples. Strong for God. But you're all of a sudden so enamored with party and play and fun. And what are you doing today? How about work? How about work your job and how about work for Jesus? How about, and I'm not saying you can never go water skiing or snow skiing or camping or to the mountains. I think you should do those things. I think your families ought to do things. I think you ought to play ball together. Friend, if life is just one party after another, you're doing something wrong. How fast we can get to SoCal to go to Disneyland. She's open now. And people here, God bless you. Do what you want, I guess, but I don't like it. Season passes. You're down there every other week. What are you thinking? Jesus gave his life for the church, and you're at Mickey Mouse Club? This is an urgent hour. Well, if, I'm, if I get in this thing, I, I have to look like a man and walk like a man and dress like a man and dress like a lady. I don't want that. I, I like it so, you know, I look cool. I look good. Hey, how about pleasing Christ? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.